Jude, verses 1 through 3 and 17 through 25. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Moving to verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, I am excited to share with you this morning from the bag of goodies that I have brought, as well as from God's word. I would like to also propose an idea for us to consider when I make the statement that we like to fight. Interesting. We like to fight. Maybe some of you are saying, what in the world does this have to do with a sermon on the book of Jude? But to try to prove my point that we like to fight, I would like to propose that we like to watch fighting. And if you don't believe me, then if you think about over the past four to five months where most athletic competition in sports has been on pause, UFC mixed martial arts fighting has continued. In fact, I was going through some old papers, ready to burn them in my fire pit this weekend, and I found a copy of the Wall Street Journal from April 8th, and one of the headlines says, UFC vows to keep fighting during the pandemic, assuming it can find arenas, which, of course, they did. We like to watch fighting, but we also like to join the fight We see it in our children. My children will fight over who gets to be player one in their video game. But not just in our children, we see it in ourselves. Think of all of the fights that we are invited to participate in in our day and age. Just for example, as I pull out this box of a tube of toothpaste, do you know what one of the primary purposes of this toothpaste is? It says it on here and you'll see it on the screen, fights cavities. I had my first filling this past week at the dentist. Maybe I need to fight a little harder. We like to fight. And the reasons and purposes for our fighting are endless. We like to 
see and read stories of good fights, but we also like to fight ourselves. And there are worthy causes for which we are to fight. We see in this day and age, there are fights against cancer, there are fights against injustice. But my question to us is, are we joining the most important fight that we could possibly join that exists and has always existed? And that, friends, is the fight for our faith. And that brings us to the book of Jude, where we learn about the most important fight of all. Now, to illustrate the importance of this fight against false teaching, I hope to include you in this exercise. I have with me two large boxing gloves that a friend has given to me. And you see a picture of those gloves on the screen. And if you take a close look at those gloves, at these gloves right here, you will see that they have some very brash American flags on them. Do you see that? Now, if you look closely on the screen, you might not be able to see it, but right here on the top it says, made in Pakistan. So I'm not sure what that's about, but nevertheless, I hope that these gloves will be an encouragement to us as we think about what Jude is calling us to. Jude is a call to arms to join a battle, to join the most important fight of all, and to contend for our faith, to fight for what is true against what is false, and to live in such a way that is consistent with that truth, as God calls us to be as his people. So what I'd like for us to do here in the worship room, and for those who are watching with us online, is when I ask the question, what must we do, your response will be out loud to say, contend for the faith. So let's practice it right now. What must we do? Contend for the faith. That is right. And I will not preach with those boxing gloves on the whole time. But what I would like for us to consider in this as we look at the book of Jude and his call to contend for the faith is to think about what the exact danger and challenge was that Jude was addressing. So if you open the book of Jude and look at verse 1, you will read the following words. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now we might read those words and think that's interesting. He's simply introducing to us who he is. Uh, What you don't know from these words necessarily is that Jude was a brother of Jesus Christ. He was a sibling of Jesus Christ. He grew up in the same house as Jesus Christ, which would have been very interesting. Kids at home, if you could imagine what it would be like to have Jesus as one of your brothers growing up. But I find it fascinating that Jude chose not to be known as a sibling of Jesus of Nazareth, but a servant of Jesus Christ as Lord. And he writes to this group of people in the first century, and he refers to them as being called and beloved in God the Father and kept for or kept by Jesus Christ. If you have a pen or a pencil, and if you're at home or here, I encourage you to circle the words beloved and kept in your Bibles, because we're going to circle back to those words. They're very important to note as Jude describes his audience to whom he's writing. We find in verse 3 the reason why he was writing, as Rich has read for us just a few moments ago. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith, that's our word, that was once for all delivered to the saints. You see, Jude was planning on writing them a word of encouragement, 
encouragement about the salvation that they have and that we have in Jesus Christ by faith. But he heard that there was a very dangerous situation going on in the church. And he calls the church to contend for the faith. Now, just a word about this word contend. In the Greek language, the word is epangonizomai. And if you look at that word, you will know that at the heart of that word is where we get our English word agonize or agony. This is a strong and powerful word to contend for the faith. This means to truly take a stand like a Greek wrestler in the arena or like when I was a kid and you would play the game King of the Hill or King of the Mountain where you were trying to make sure that you stuck to your territory and no one took it from you. This is the strong word that Jude is telling his readers and to us when we contend for the faith. To take a stand for what God says is true in the face of those who claim what is false. So what must we do? Contend for the faith, indeed. We find as we read on in verse 4 the real reason for why Jude tells us to contend for the faith. And I would like to propose how we contend for the faith. Like any battle, you must be prepared in order to wage the war. This is like basic training. So the first step in contending for the faith is to know your opponent. To know your opponent. When I was a child, I watched the television show G.I. Joe. And at the end of the show, it was always a scene where a child was about to do something dangerous. And one of the characters from G.I. Joe stepped in and told them, don't do that, don't do this, don't run after the ball in the street, don't put your hand on a hot stove. And the little child would always look and say, well, thanks, now I know. And the character from G.I. Joe would always say, that's right, and knowing's half the battle. I think in this case, knowing our opponent is one of the keys to contending for our faith. We find in verse 4 where Jude writes, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. These certain people were false teachers. And the language here, crept in, is almost like smuggling something dangerous into the walls and the life of the church. Much like we used to smuggle fireworks from South Carolina to Connecticut. Sorry, Dad and Mom, if that's not supposed to be public knowledge. Uh, smuggling something dangerous where it should not be. But these false teachers were, had crept in and had brought false teaching. Because what they were doing is they were undermining what the church believed, which was impacting how the church was behaving. And that was their motivation. And what we find is that false teaching, friends, is an age-old problem and an ongoing battle. If you go to the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, we find an interesting interaction between Satan, who really is the ultimate opponent and the ultimate enemy in this battle against false teaching, and man and woman. Man and woman had everything that they could possibly want. Life was perfect in the garden. And enter Satan in the form of a serpent. And he asks the woman a very interesting question. Did God actually say? And then he takes what God has said and he twists it and he distorts it and the woman is fraught with doubt. And in the context of events, she takes a bite of a forbidden fruit, as does her husband. And then we have the fallen world and sinfulness that we experience each and every day. And it all started with a simple question from Satan that he continues to ask us today. Did God actually say? 
And then we are suddenly fraught with doubt about what we know is true. And false teachers today will come into a place like a church and will get us to doubt what God has said. In other parts of Scripture, they're described as wolves speaking twisted things and putting forth destructive heresies. These false teachers are also described as being hidden reefs and shepherds who are feeding themselves. And hidden reefs like a ship who, is, who sees a rock and the rock looks strong, but as you get closer, that rock is actually uh, hiding dangerous reefs underneath that when the ship strikes the, that reef, it sinks, spiritually speaking, for us as well. And these are not true shepherds. These are shepherds who are not out to give to the people, but to take from the people. False teachers in Jude are described over four times as ungodly. And as we think about this, and I I think about the world in which we live in the constant flow of information back and forth, and the sources of that information, it seems as if every voice that is speaking is claiming to be a voice of truth. And we know, friends, that that just cannot be. But yet here we have on social media... And in the mainstream media, we always have people speaking and claiming what is true. And our constant task is, whether it's from TikTok or Twitter or the Times-Dispatch, is to say, what does God say is true? Otherwise, we can easily be led astray by anyone who's claiming to be a theologian and anyone who's claiming to put forth what is true. I think about examples in our world today where Satan is still asking that same question, and it goes like this. Did God actually say that I'm called to kindness in an unkind world that we live in? Did God actually say that I have to forgive those who offend me? Did God actually say that I have to wait until marriage to experience the one flesh relationship that God has given to man and woman as husband and wife? Did God actually say Jesus is the only way? And if, friends, you listen to the voices enough, you will begin to see how that same question, did God actually say, is still being asked, and God's truth is being distorted, and we are being confused and led to doubt. So how do you know if the voices are leading you in the directions of God's truth or away from it? We return to our question, what must we do? Contend for the faith by knowing our opponent and our second step, which is to choose your weapons. Be resourced in the fight. And I will say that the weapons that God gives us are very different weapons than those that the world would put forth, very different than what you will read in mainstream and social media. The first weapon itself is the Bible, which is the Word of God. And as we have been sharing since September, we believe that the Bible is God's story of creation, rebellion, redemption, and new creation with Jesus at the center. This is your primary weapon in the fight and in contending for your faith. We find this in Jude, verse 20, where he writes... But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. We should ask ourselves the question, how do we build ourselves up in this most holy faith? We build ourselves up in our most holy faith by building our foundation on the word of God, which is the foundation of our faith. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, we read, 
that we are to fight this spiritual battle with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is indeed an essential weapon in the fight to contend for our faith. That is why here at the chapel, part of our mission statement states that we are about getting people into God's Word and God's Word into people. We also need to understand that in fighting our ultimate opponent, Satan, the Word of God is essential in the fight. We see this even from Jesus in his own life in a season where he was in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. He was being tempted by Satan in moments of weakness and tiredness. And each time Satan distorted the truth of God, Jesus responded not once, not twice, but three times with, it is written. And he brought truth back to what Satan was trying to distort. And at the end of that encounter, Satan had nothing more to say. And he left. I would posit today, friends, that if Jesus needed this weapon, as he quoted from the Old Testament in his fight against Satan and false teaching, then we too need this weapon at our disposal, in our arsenal, because the Bible will expose error and lead us to what is true. The Bible will shape us to be more like Jesus Christ in order that we can withstand Satan's schemes. And the Bible is God's spoken word to us today. And what you find is that when you wield this weapon well and wisely, you are competent and confident with humility to be able to share this with others who are seeking to know what is true and to help steer them away from what is false. Even all of our VBS truths from this past week come right from the Bible, especially the final one. God guides us, so trust God. How does he guide us? How does he guide us? He guides us through his word. I would like to propose a practical application for getting into God's word so that it will get into you this week. And it's one that my uh, friend of mine is calling the 7 by 7 challenge. And what that means is spend seven minutes a day, seven days a week, in the word, in the Bible, in the scriptures. Because, I don't know if you knew this, but this book is meant to be part of your life, not just on Sundays. You're supposed to be in it and immerse yourself in it and so with our 7 by 7 challenge, maybe you look ahead to the book of Revelation, which we will be diving into next week as a family of faith. And maybe you spend seven minutes reading about the seven different churches and what Jesus Christ has to say to them and to us today. However you choose to get into the word, I pray that you will. And God will equip you to contend for the faith. Well, our first weapon goes hand in hand with the second weapon. And the second weapon that we must choose to contend for our faith is prayer. The discipline of prayer. We really believe that prayer precedes the movement of God. And if the Bible is the sword of the Spirit, then Ephesians chapter 6 encourages us by saying that we should pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. We find that Jude himself in verse 20 refers to the discipline and the weapon of prayer as he encourages us to be praying in the Holy Spirit. Prayer is our opportunity to come before the Lord as we have in our worship service today and to say, wow, thanks, help. Prayer is an essential weapon in the battle. We must be a people of the word and we must be a people of prayer. Prayer is the means through which we find God's help and allow him to shape us to be more like Jesus Christ. And you might 
be interested to know that just as Jesus used the word in his fight against Satan and false teaching, so Jesus embraced and used the weapon of prayer in his own fight and in his moments of weakness when he needed it most. Jesus often withdrew himself to pray. If Jesus used this weapon in the battle, friends, I think that we should too. You find that when you are anxious, you should pray and you'll find peace. When you're scared, you should pray and you will find courage. When you are confused, you should pray and you'll find direction. When you are hurting, you should pray and you will find healing. And when you're really confident, you should really pray because then God will draw you back with a humble spirit to recognize your need for him. Do not slack in these disciplines. The discipline of prayer is one that we embrace here at the chapel every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 9 o'clock online. I encourage you to join us for our digital devotions in prayer. You can access that on our website or on our Facebook page. It has been such a meaningful time, I know, for me and members of our staff team and those from our church who join us. I encourage you to take up that weapon of prayer this week and join us for our digital devotions and prayer. Because, folks, we can't just look the part. We can't just look disciplined and expect that we are going to contend for the faith. We must embrace these disciplines and pick up these weapons that God has given us to fight the fight. Because what must we do? Contend for the faith. Well, that leads to our final point and our final step which could be the most important one, and that is to remember your commander. Remember Jesus Christ himself. Remember that he is your true commander and your true king. I was drawn to uh, the text of Jude, verses 20 and 21. At the very beginning of verse 20, he writes, but you, beloved, and then he says in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. Uh, You remember how I asked you to circle that word beloved and kept in verse 1? Well, here we find these words have come back towards the end of the book. We find the word beloved is used four times throughout the book of Jude. It's fascinating and incredible to me that we would know that we are beloved. We are loved by God. Last week, Claude shared from the book of 1 John that love originates from God in his very being. As the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love one another and love us. We know from one of the most famous Bible verses, John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. That is an incredible truth that we are loved by God. We must remember that our commander and king loves us. But yet, we're also told to keep ourselves in the love of God. What, What is the key and what does that mean to keep ourselves in the love of God? I would argue that it actually starts with Jesus himself. As you go back to the beginning of the book of Jude, those words that I asked you to circle and note, those who are beloved in God the Father and kept for or kept by Jesus Christ. We find that the only way we can keep ourselves in God's love is because Jesus is the one keeping us in it. It's all about his grace and his work in our lives. And that's why I present to you this final point that we contend for the faith because Jesus contends for us. And when we recognize what he has accomplished and how he has accomplished it, it's amazing because Jesus contended for the faith. But you know what he did? He took the gloves, he set them aside, and he stretched his hands out upon a cross so that he might die for your sins and my sins 
Not fighting the way that we would typically expect one to fight, but by giving himself up out of the love that he has. And three days later, he was raised from the dead. And when we recognize what the gospel is and how central the gospel is for us to contend for the faith, we recognize that Jesus calls us to rely on him and trust him every day in the midst of the battle. We recognize that we trust him in the midst of what he has done and rely on his strength while we are humbled by his grace, empowered by his resurrection to answer his call to contend for the faith and fight against what is false in the pursuit of what is true. That's how we contend for the faith and we remember what Christ has done for us. Amen? So friends, at home here, one final time, what must we do? Contend for the faith. As we know our opponent, as we pick up and choose our weapons, the Bible and prayer, and as we remember Jesus Christ, our commander and king, who has contended for us and loves us. We are going to close with a song that is familiar to most of us, I'm sure, in this room and at home. It is simply, Jesus loves me. And as we sing that song, we're going to have Claude and Elizabeth down front. They are here to be uh, available to you should you need prayer for anything at this time. Because maybe that is one of the most important truths of the Bible that you are doubting right now. Could God really love you? In the midst of what you're going on through or maybe of what you've done, we know that Jesus loves us. This we know. Why? For the Bible tells us so.